Okay, so let's review very, very quickly the basics behind atherosclerosis. So we start out with a fatty streak. And what does a fatty streak start from? Endothelial injury, which results in the what? Macrophages eating cholesterol and becoming foam cells. Those foam cells develop into fatty streaks and then becomes a delicious liquid fatty center. And your body wants to contain that, so it starts to put a shell on the outside, and that shell is made up of... Uh, no. Fibrous tissue. And what's the number one fiber? Collagen. Think fat lips. Think fat celebrity lips. Collagen is the main fiber that forms the fibrous cap. What's the purpose of the fibrous cap? To contain the fatty center. Ultimately, in the attempt to make sure that it stays strong, we're going to put down what element? Calcium. Collagen first, then calcium. If our containment uh, procedures fail and it breaks open, what do we call that? A complicated lesion. What does a complicated lesion cause to happen? A thrombus, a big clot that can become, that can cause ischemia or infarction. What's the difference between ischemia? What's the difference between ischemia and infarction? Okay, ischemia is lowered blood flow, which leads to hypoxic injury. And infarction is lowered blood flow that leads to cell death. So, which one is, which one is reversible? Ischemia is reversible. Infarction, some of it is not reversible because there's actual cell death. I read somewhere that the death is not caused by the lactoxin, but the introduction of... We'll talk about that later. It's a more, com it's a more complicated topic. All right, so manifestations of atherosclerosis. None until it's either severe or we have an event. And what do we mean by event? A complicated lesion. Now, how many of you have atherosclerosis going on in your arteries this exact moment? Okay. Everyone raise your hand. By age 18, Everyone has fatty streaks in their arteries. And there ain't no 18-year-old Doogie Housers in here. You're like, I'm Doogie. All right. So the symptoms are going to depend on where the artery is that's occluded. So if it's in your legs, what's the, um, what's the symptom? Claudication. If it's in your coronary arteries, reduced exercise intolerance, reduced exercise tolerance. So you start to walk around, you're like, oh, it hurts. My chest hurts. Oh, let me wait a few minutes. Okay, it gets better. What's that called? Okay, but what's to the, the chest pain? Where Angina, sometimes called exertional angina or stable angina. And if you're not an angina person, you can call it angina. Say again? I have that. Every time I exercise, I have pain here. That's a little different. 
All right. If it happens, if it happens in the renal artery, we're going to get hypertension. If it happens now, if we get a coronary event, sorry, a cardiovascular event, the two major places that cause problems are the brain and the heart. If it's in the brain, it's going to be called, and if it's in the coronary arteries, it's going to be called an MI, myocardial infarction. We talked about the collateral circulation, da-da-da. All right, risk factors. Yes, ma'am. In your legs? Yeah, typically the calves and can also be in the larger muscles of the legs as well. All right, we talked about all these, right? I can't yeah. remember. Actually, I think we, we finished off somewhere in here. What's a, what's a Doppler? All right. So one of the most important assessments when you're talking about atherosclerosis just in the hospital is to do pedal pulses. If you can't find a person's fetal pulse, that is an indication they might have lowered circulation to the feet. Now, how would you confirm that? You'd use the Doppler. Is it just that I'm having a hard time finding it, or does it not really exist? Now, if you can find it with the Doppler, what are you going to do? document that you were able to find it with the Doppler. <laughs> if you can't find it with the Doppler, then what are you going to do? Okay, then you need to call the provider and let them know because their feet are then at risk for ischemia. Um, as far as treatment of atherosclerosis goes, we're going to treat blood pressure and cholesterol. We're going to do lifestyle changes. We may put the patient on an anticoagulant of some kind and Usually it's going to be an antiplatelet drug. What's the number one antiplatelet drug? Aspirin. What dose? 81 milligrams. And then we're also going to treat localized ischemic lesions. So this is where your angioplasty comes into. We showed you the angiogram, talked about bypasses, heart catheterizations. So what is PTCA? PCTA, what is it? All right, percutaneous transluminal angioplasty. So we're going to put a little catheter into the artery that has the blockage, and then we're going to blow up a balloon, and it's going to crush the um, lesion against the wall, so it kind of smushes it outwards. Then we're going to deflate the balloon and pull it out. What's the problem with angioplasty? Yeah, so it'll spread it open a little bit, but really it's going to mostly just collapse back. And sometimes within a day of it happening, it's just as bad as it was before. So in order to prevent that reocclusion, we can use a stent. What's the problem with the stent? Any, any of you ever grow tomatoes? Or seen them grown? What do you use to grow tomatoes? Okay, they grow on vines, so what do you use? You use a stick and it grows up the stick, right? Well, the stent can be used as kind of like a, great, a tomato vine, so it just grows right back through it. 
So what do we do to prevent that? Anticoagulants. There's actually stents that have anticoagulants in them. What's the problem with that? It can actually cut through the walls and cause even worse problems. Now, most stents will reocclude within one year. Leading um, no, you leave them in once they're there. Leaving some physicians to refer to angioplasty, coronary artery bypass, and stents as plastic surgery for your arteries. It makes them look pretty, but it doesn't do anything for the disease. Is that the same idea for stents? Yes. But a, what? The, uh, the other option? talk about that when we get to MIs. All right. So if you, if you end up working on a cardiovascular floor, like a telemetry unit, what you're going to find is that the doctors are all going to be doing stents and angioplasties on everyone and bypass surgeries. And you're going to go, if they say, not a candidate for, for a stent, we're going to treat them medically. You're going to go, oh man, they're doing nothing for this poor patient. But then if you work on the other side of things, you go, oh, thank God they're not doing that stent. They're just going to waste his money and then it's going to reocclude. So depends on what side of the aisle you work. But the, the research is definitely on the side of treating them medically. All right, so here we have a picture of your bypass. Um, skip this because this is already done. And we're going to... Is the peripheral artery disease next in yours? Okay. All right. Before we talk about, we talked about embolism already. All right. Before we talk about um, heart attacks, because once we get into heart attacks, we've got heart failure and dysrhythmias right behind it. So before we talk about that, let's talk about veins for a moment. Um, now, or, sorry, peripheral arterial disease, then vein. Peripheral arterial disease is atherosclerotic in nature. And there's a couple different types of disease. Um, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. We have atherosclerotic disease, first of all. This is sometimes called PAD. What will PAD cause in terms of symptoms? Okay, it can make the extremities feel cold because there's less blood flow. What else? Um, not necessarily, but in later stages. They'll be pale, right? We're talking about legs here. Yeah. So decreased hair, shiny appearance, white, or pale anyway, and cold. Sometimes it'll be like socks. You're like warm, 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 cold. No, that's something else. All right. Now, in terms of symptoms that a patient might have, what might they feel when they walk? They feel cramping in their legs when they walk. That would go away when they rest. What's that called? Intermittent claudication. So that's atherosclerotic. Thromboangitis obliterans. Um, you can look that up. There might be a bonus question on your test on it. Thromboangitis obliterans, but it's not something I've really care if you know or not. All right, Raynaud's disease. We need to talk about this for just a moment. Um, Raynaud's disease, Raynaud's phenomenon, 
is the problem of peripheral vasospasm. So for some reason, someone's um, fingers and toes, their arteries just begin to spasm up. Blood flow can't get through to the tissue, so they're going to have very cold hands. Some of you women right now are going, I have that. And if it gets bad enough, it can actually cause necrosis. It's associated with um, other illnesses like systemic lupus erythematosus. So anyone who has Raynaud's disease or Raynaud's phenomenon needs to be worked up for other inflammatory, other inflammatory diseases. We treat them with alpha blockers. That's all you need to know about that. So how is it inflammatory if it's already occurring? It's associated with. Oh, okay. Yeah, so people who have systemic lupus erythematosus, sometimes the way we find out is they come into the doctor because their hands are cold. The doctor says, you have Raynaud's syndrome. Well, let's work you up for lupus. <gasps> you have it. Not always, but sometimes. Say again? No, once you have it, you have it. It can get worse and better, but once you have lupus, you have it. All right, now diseases of the veins. First one is varicose veins and venous insufficiency. What is a varicose vein? Anyone have one in here? <laughs> yeah. All right, so a varicose vein is a vein who's, that's lost its muscle tone or its ability to contract, constrict. And so it remains enlarged and engorged all the time. They can be painful. They typically occur in the legs. But there's another place they can occur that's rather um, painful. In the butt. And we call them hemorrhoids. Ah. Now... If you remember back to your health assessment lecture, if they occur outside the sphincter, they're called external hemorrhoids and typically are painful. If they happen inside the sphincter, they're called internal and can often cause bleeding, but are typically not painful. Um, anyway. Now, the problem with varicose veins and venous insufficiency in general, which is when you have valve failures, is that it can lead to insufficient venous return. What does that mean? It means blood's not coming back up to your heart. So how's, what's your body going to do? What's your response to that? It's going to vasoconstrict. It's going to cause increased blood pressure. What else? Heart rate faster and contractility stronger and fluid up. So everything we talked about in your quiz will happen. Because if there's not enough blood getting back to the heart, there's going to be lowered cardiac output. Um, what can happen to the patient locally in terms of the problem area, the feet. So hyperpigmentation of the feet, they turn like this fun, like purplish, reddish color. Edema, because you've got excess fluid in the feet. And then sluggish circulation in the extremities in general. So they're just going to have less perfusion of their feet. And then eventually something called venous stasis ulcers, where basically the pressure in the vein gets so big that it just causes ulcers. And they're really, really nasty. So where are those compression stockings when you work your 12-hour shift? Uh, support hose, yes. <laughs> it's, 
in the middle of your shift, put your feet up. Oh, I'm sorry, I'd love to help you, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm promoting Venus return right now. <laughs> All right, so that's, that's on the, um, on the uh, veins. Another problem with the veins is DVTs, deep venous thrombosis. Now, deep venous thrombosis occurs in somewhere between one-tenth to one-quarter of everyone in the hospital. Is that a lot? Um, it's highest in the, the highest risk is in patients who are being treated for shock, stroke, MI, heart failure, and malignancy, and orthopedic trauma or surgery. So in your patients who are getting hip replacements, knee replacements, um, open reduction internal fixation, what's that called? ORIF or ORIF. I know you've had that in med surge now, at least talked about it, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So in these patients, there is basically 100% risk. They will get a clot unless we intervene. Also, some obstetric and gynecological conditions can cause increase in DVT risk. And a special shout out to women who and on oral contraceptives. So smoking and oral contraceptives together is a recipe for DVTs. What did you say? Okay, never mind. Also patients with coagulation disorders. Now, factors that promote DVTs. First one is venous stasis. Now, what can cause venous stasis? What's the number one cause? Immobility. Immobility. What are people in the hospital typically? Immobile. What's the first thing we do when someone comes to the hospital? We put them on bed rest. So if they're not moving as much, they're going to get venous stasis. Certain medications can slow blood flow. And then posture changes. So what's what that mean thing that your nurses are always telling patients to do? Don't cross your legs. Like, but I need to cross my legs. It's comfortable. Venous endothelial damage. What? What's that? Damage of the lining of the vein. So the vein is naturally anti-clotting unless it gets damaged. So if it gets damaged, that puts the patient at more risk for clotting. So patients who have some disease where they're going to have vein damage, such as trauma, surgery, chronic inflammation, are more at risk for, for venous DVTs. You tell me what malignancy is. Yes, you do. As opposed to benign. Oh, I wasn't sure what you were referring to. Yes, cancer. All right, and then hypercoagulable states, such as an inherited state, malignancy, pregnancy, oral contraceptives, and HRT, which stands for hormone replacement therapy, um, basically hot flash therapy for women who are uh, menopausal, whether it's, whether it's that time in their life or whether they've had a hysterectomy and are getting it to replace their estrogen because they have no ovaries. Now, manifestations. 
The number one manifestation is pain. Then we can have swelling, redness. What, what, is, what do these three things sound like together? Inflammation. It can also be warm. Now, Homan's sign. What is Homan's sign? Not exactly. You're close. All right. So you pull their calf up or their, their ankle up and it is hurt in the calf. The calf is, is the most common place for DVTs to occur. Now, let me ask you this question. Is home and sign a good sign of having a DVT? Well, if they have it, yes. You, if they have it, you're pretty sure they've got a DVT. But half of the people who have DVTs have negative Homan signs. So even if they don't have a Homan sign, guess what? They still might have it and you need to treat them accordingly until you've been proven otherwise. So the gold standard in terms of diagnosing it is a Doppler ultrasound. How is a Doppler ultrasound different from a Doppler? Okay. So the, the Doppler is basically just a sensitive microphone. And the Doppler, the, dop, the Doppler ultrasound, is an actual ultrasound that's done by radiology. Nurses can't do them, and you need a order for it. You don't need an order for a Doppler. You do for an ultrasound. So the most important thing that we want to do is prevention, prevention, prevention. How are we going to prevent it? Okay, we can use we can use either TED hose, compression stockings, or what's it called? Little devices that squeeze your SCDs. Have you sequential compression devices? They're basically um, artificial milkers for your legs. <laughs> what you do is you. You put them on the person's calf, and sometimes they have bigger ones that go up higher on the leg, and it just it squeezes sequentially upwards so that it squeezes the, the blood from your calves back up to your heart. All right, so you can use compression stockings or SCDs. What else can you use? Before we get to drugs. Exercising. You can get the patient up out of bed, or even if they're in bed, you can have them do range of motion exercises. What else? Okay, elevate. elevate what? Your legs. your legs. Not necessarily all the time, but sometimes. Okay, what else? Do not cross your legs, ma'am. We have to break them. <laughs> and then we get to medications. So what medications would we use to prevent DVTs? Okay, we can use Lovenox. What else can we use? Heparin. What else can we use? Warfarin. Now, in a patient who's an acute patient, which of those are we going to use? Lovenox and heparin. But why not the warfarin? Because it takes longer time to get going. So once you've got the patient out of the woods, so to speak, on your Lovenox or heparin, then you can transition them to warfarin. And what's the important thing about the transition time? It can take anywhere from two to five days to get therapeutic on warfarin. So don't take them off the heparin or Lovenox until what lab value has come back? INR. Okay. So there you go. 
Now, why do we care so much about DVTs? I mean, it's just a little leg pain. Okay. Is there ever a chance that a DVT could become a stroke? Only if you have a ventral septic, uh, you know, ventriceptal defect. Ventricular septal defect. What? All right, let me ask you this question. When you're born, do you have a hole in your heart? What's that? It's called the what? The foramen ovale. Remember that? Now, when you take your first breath and you go, put me back, what happens? It closes up. Now, in some people, it stays open a little bit. The only way that a venous, a DVT, could ever cause a stroke is if it came up your vena cava into the, which atrium? The right atrium, into the right ventricle, and then through the septum defect, and then into the aorta. Does that make sense? So when I ask you, is it possible? Uh, yeah, I guess theoretically. But no. 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 So for practical purposes, no. So on the test, on the test, when you get a question that asks that, and you choose that answer, it could become a stroke. You have no one to hit but yourself. All right. So the reason we care so much about DVTs is they can become pulmonary emboli. And pulmonary emboli, how many people die, even with treatment? About 50%. So we really want to do our best to prevent this from happening, especially because nowadays Medicare doesn't what? Doesn't cover hospital mistakes and DVTs are seen as a preventable event. So if they happen and they cause a pulmonary embolism, it will not be covered under Medicare. Quite common. They got to be careful. <laughs> so if they get the flu, they can't just stay in bed all day. They have to like get up every half hour and walk around. <laughs> no, nurses are not at risk for DVT. They're at risk for varicose veins. It's just for standing for so long. So if you notice that, like, if you see people standing around for a long time, what do they start doing? They start going like this, and they start doing this, and they start doing this. Why are they doing that? And they're trying to get blood going back up. It, it's not that they know it, it's just that their feet hurt. Their legs are hurting, and that's how you fix that problem. Okay. Cosmetic surgery? Sure, you, yes, you can. There's, there's several different things you can do for varicose veins. All right, before we move on to coronary artery disease, we have one last thing to say about pulmonary embolism. How do we treat pulmonary embolism? Okay, we can treat it with Lovenox. What else? We can treat it with heparin. What kind of heparin? What route? IV. So for prophylaxis, 
what kind of heparin can we use? We can use sub-Q for prevention. But when we're treating a DVT or a pulmonary embolism, it's got to be the IV form. Can we use uh, another drug class? Yeah. What drug class would that be? Since you were guessing. I know. Starts with a T. Tetracycline. <laughs> no. The yeah, the problem is that neck thrombolytics. So we can use thrombolytics for pulmonary embolism. What's the problem with that? Bleeding, Bleeding is the number one problem problem. Now, in addition to the thrombolytics or the anticoagulants, what else are we going to do for that patient on who's got, uh, well, we suspect pulmonary edema? Would you want that person to be walking around the hallway running races? High-fiving the orderlies? Arm wrestling? Why not? Well, it's already broken off. It's in their lung. Let me ask you this question. Uh, for those of you who take the stairs, when you get to the top of like the sixth story, what, what do you feel? Huffing and puffing. Why is that? Why? Because muscles, when they work, require more oxygen. And you've got a pulmonary embolism, which is blocking the, you know, the uh, exchange of oxygen. So, would you want to do, have the patient do things that are going to increase oxygen demand? Maybe. No. Because that's going to steal it from their, from their brain. Eventually, it'll dissolve. And yes. All clots dissolve unless you die. Okay, so we're going to put them on bed rest. Put them on oxygen. What else? What else are we going to do? All right. So what are we going to do for them besides put them on bed rest and give them oxygen? Pulse ox, what else? Blood pressure, what else? Pulse and call the physician and ask for blood gases and chest x-ray. And they, they might do some other things too, like a CT, but generally speaking, those will be what they do first. All right, let's talk about coronary artery disease. 